Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, don't you love our worship band here at Four Corners? Aren't they great? Yeah. I wish I looked and sang like Will, I tell you. <laughs> hey, uh, it's a great day to be here. We're in the second week of a message series that we started last week on Super Bowl Sunday, and it's called Marriage Audibles. And the whole concept of this message series is taking a look at relationships. Really, whether you're married or not, we figure everyone will have some relational inklings or truths that they can draw out of this series. But looking at them and asking the question, if we're at a point in those relationships where we might need to make some changes, what kind of changes could we make? And the word audibles, if you don't know because uh, you don't understand American football and you don't think it's the greatest sport in the world, the whole concept of an audible is something that happens in football when you get up to the line of scrimmage and you realize that maybe the defense is stacked against you in a certain way and you make a last minute change in the play that you're going to call so that you can get progress uh, down the field. And so that's what we're hoping will happen in marriages here at, at Four Corners Church over the life of this message series. So last week, if you were here, you got to see Chris and Sarah Cadwallader, who shared their testimony about how God has worked in the life of their marriage, and it was spectacular. If you missed it, you can catch it online uh, at fourcornerschurch.com, uh, either the audio or the video as well. And this week, we have special guests with us, uh, the LeGros family, Dick and Carol LeGros. And what's great about them is is they have been married a really long time. Uh, I think 740 years or yes, something like that. Yeah. No, that's no. not right. 40. It's, 40. it's like 45, 43, 45? 45. Maybe 40, 45. Yeah, 44, 45 years. Dick doesn't even know. Um, and, uh, My memory thought, is going quickly. <laughs> we thought it would be great to have them up on stage and share with us some wisdom uh, that they've learned about how to keep a marriage going, even in the good times, which is easy enough, but more importantly, in the bad. So here's Pastor Ben and Dick and Carol Grow. Greg, one of the things that's nice about Dick and Carol is over the years as we've gotten to know each other is you sense in them that they still love each other. I mean, it's, it's really kind of cool. Um, it, it's more than sweet. It, it's exactly God's design for every marriage to have a long run together and still love each other. So what we wanted to do today, guys, was just chat with you. Now, Dick, there's a special proviso for today, right? You are the spokesperson for the family. Well, why is that? She's not a platform person. Okay. <laughs> she can talk forever out in the hallway, though. So All right, right, good. So, so if they and want... she's told me everything I'm supposed to say. She told you... <laughs> there you are, the key to a long and successful marriage. <laughs> hey, Dick, tell us a little bit about how you guys met, and then, and then when did you know that there was something special, that you guys were falling in love? It's a long story, but first of all, we didn't court to that love song we just heard. But. <laughs> no, they've changed over the years, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. Music has changed. But, uh, you know, and then it, I was 32 when I got married, so for those of you who are single out there, I never worried that God didn't have somebody for me. If he didn't, I just kept right on working, moving on. I endured many meals at homes where they invited some school teacher who was single, needed a ride home. And, uh, <laughs> we call those blind dates. Yes, right. <laughs> but actually, Carol was from Ohio. I was from California. We both attended Cincinnati Bible, whatever they call it today, <laughs> university or something like that. Okay. However, I was years ahead of her, but I had a roommate who was a professional student, and he was still there playing ping pong, but had great taste in women. <laughs> Later, we both wound up in California and uh, and... I was invited to speak at his youth group, and Carol was working for Delta and had flown out for the weekend with him. Ta-da. And, uh, Ta-da. 
<laughs> he still had great taste in women, but I thought he was the one fortunate. But anyway, uh, some time passed. I went away to Lincoln College for graduate school, came back. The Lord had separated them, thank them. And she came to visit a church. We'd run down the stairs and never got to talk to her. But I one night talked about the fact that I had flown to Toronto, had a terrible flight on Western. So I got a Christmas card from Carol that said, next time fly Delta. <laughs> and you knew then that she was Yes, smitten. because the next time I flew was on Delta on our honeymoon to Jamaica. Uh, <laughs> actually, uh, I, at 32, you're ready. So when she sent the card, I, I had free passes at Disneyland, so invited her, asked her if she was going to Ohio the next day, asked if she needed to ride to the airport, she lied and said I did, and so I quickly uh, arranged to have dinner at a wonderful restaurant, I bought her a corsage, I bought a Anita Kerr album, because that night she said she liked Anita Kerr, I mean, I was gone, <laughs> and... <laughs> Then I said, do you need someone to pick you up when you get home? Oh, yes, she did. Then she had to call her roommate and say she lied again. But anyway. <laughs> um, we, uh, Sounds like things haven't changed much. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no. And quickly we then were engaged. We got, I proposed in February. <laughs> Short. But I knew what I was wanting and ready. And I don't remember being very romantic proposal. I just simply asked one time after a conference that you run. And she said, I immediately whipped out my date books and we're going to do this. I don't remember that. I do remember at church I had put up a bulletin board that's with hearts that said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when I came in that Sunday, the young people had changed it to, For God so loved Dick that he gave Carol a ring. Oh, no, I forgot to love Carol that he gave. What did I do? Awesome. Yeah. No, you did it fine. It's good. We got it. We got the point. <laughs> but I thought the two things went together very, very well. Yeah. And so we were married in June, and this June we'll celebrate 45 years. That's wow. amazing. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, that's all right. That's good. <laughs> Dick, you mentioned God in this, and obviously um, we're not just here to promote romance in general. We think that since God was the originator of marriage, it was his idea, he put men and women together, that having him at the center is a big deal. You mentioned a little bit about God in your, in your story there, but how, how has God played a part in your relationship um, just, you know, over, over the years? Yes. Well, it's, all, it's everything to us, I'm sure. And we, it's not, it doesn't look like things, but I think, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh, God has always been part of our marriage. Uh, it hasn't always been easy. Uh, I don't know where I'm going right now. Could you help me? Uh, yeah, I'll help you out. No, no, that's no, no big deal. Well, we talked about some of the challenges that every couple faces. You guys, have, obviously, it's not been a perfect relationship. Everything hasn't been a hunky-dory. You've had real hurdles to get over. Right. What are some of those hurdles, and where did you, where, where did you rely I on think, your faith? Firstly, you know, we were both older, both had good jobs. We just had great credit cards. We pooled our credit cards, and we kept on going. And to this day, probably, I wished, Lord, why didn't you send somebody to us to help us in finance? I think finances are one of the biggest challenges for marriage today and back then. And even retirement, we're still paying the price of that. So I would think that was in, in just a, uh, a, a word of encouragement in that sense. So you felt some real challenges in, in finances. Right. Good. Where else would you, would you say? And I'm not trying to like get dirt. You can be very general, big no, picture stuff. But yeah. was there any other place you felt some challenges? Well, I, I'm having a mental block right now. I'm That's getting okay. old. That's all right. But uh, we, we've had challenges in terms of uh, uh, health. Okay. In terms of uh, one time we felt like 
I was held up at gunpoint in a hotel in Atlanta. The next minute I was, well, our house was robbed. The next minute my dad died and we felt the pressure. Of what, but I've always played into the verse in 2 Corinthians, thanks to you, who always leads in triumph. I always knew that eventually that was his goal for us and for our marriage. And so well, we've had that. I, I think it's interesting because I've known you guys now for about as long as you've been at Four Corners. One of our first engagements, you were in a small group with us. And one of the things that's interesting about Dick and Carol that Jill and I have talked about is the, the fact that he's having a hard time remembering the hard times isn't an accident, um, and it's not a function of senility or anything like that. It's that you guys simply don't focus on that. That's not the defining characteristic of your relationship. You don't look at the neg- negative and go, this defines me, this defines us, this is our set reality. That's not at all what you guys do. You really do believe that in all things we're made victorious in Christ, right? Right, I do. And he's been... Uh, Mm, just having a hard time That's all right. with thoughts here right now. Help me out. You talk. <laughs> she has no, she ha- you wouldn't let her have a microphone. <laughs> which, which might well, be I the think, secret to 45 years. No. I think in my job, I had to travel a lot. And one of the things that have been such a blessing to me, having seen other ways, is that Carol was always supportive of that. There were times, twice when I was in California, she would call and say our girls were in an tra- uh, automobile accident and had to do that. I often thought the pressure, but Carol never, never was critical of what I did in front of our kids or in front of anybody else. I worked with a pastor whose wife constantly told their kids how terrible his dad was. He was always gone. He was forever there. And Carol never did that. And so no matter what I did, even though there are times I'm on, she said, well, I wish you'd stay home and all that. But our kids never knew that. And I've seen so many marriages where couples are so critical of each other outside, of, even in front of people or in their marriage. And eventually I've learned that if you hear criticism all the time, you avoid that. If you hear praise all the time, you go there. So a lot of men spend a lot of time at work because that's where they're praised and that's where they're encouraged. And then they come home and they hear that. But I thank God for a person like Carol who has never been that. She has always been supportive. I'm sure there are times when it would be different. Uh, There are times when even... I got on a plane when she said, don't go, but I knew I had to go. And there's one time when I wound up in a hospital in San Clemente saying, can you get me well enough to get home? And the doctor said, you're lucky you got here. And I had to call Carol and say, I'm getting ready for surgery. So I know there are times, but at the same time, Carol has never been critical that I've heard. (laughs) Maybe there's a hallway down the way that she's One of the things we talked about last week that's a similar theme to what Chris and Sarah were talking about is how much uh, in relationships uh, they learn that women need to be loved, but men a lot of times need to be respected. And I think that's what you're sharing here, that at least in public, what your wife did for you, she respected you. And then if you needed to have a conversation, you did that, but it was in private. And I think that's pretty important to a man. And the the last thing, Dick, what are some ways that you helped lean in and helped Carol experience that love portion of the equation? I mean, I'm asking you to brag on yourself just a little bit maybe, but uh, how, how did you go out of your way to make sure that she knew she was the most special thing in your life? Well, early on, I'd buy perfume and set it on the counter. And I'd buy clothes and hang them in the closet until she, I found out she didn't like the clothes I picked out. And, uh, <laughs> so we've stopped doing that. Uh, 
But uh, we, we, what's that? You're very unselfish. Very unselfish, she said. Thank you. Well, she said something. Hallelujah. (laughs) We're not. Sometimes, you know, you look at people and think, oh, they're old and they all just lovey-dovey. We're not. I grew up in a, I didn't think I saw my dad kiss my mom until the 50th anniversary of their party. Carol had to teach me how to be loving and how to be that way. It was not something, and still today, you know, I don't, we walk the mall every day, and I don't hold her hand and walk around. I'm sure she looks at other people and says, they're holding hands, but I'm not holding hands. (laughs) And we, we, you know, we love the Lord. We both read our Bibles, but we don't read together. We pray at every meal, but we don't pray together. Sometimes it looks like they got it all together. We don't, and we're still growing, but but the love we have for each other, the thing I, we're, we really do enjoy each other. We, I, 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 we can thoroughly entertain ourselves. We talk sometimes like we're going we're to die and no one's going to be at our funeral because we're the only people that know each other. We don't, we don't have a lot of... We don't have a lot of friends, but we love being together, whether it's walking the mall, seeing a movie, eating out. And in our age, in this time of life, we eat a lot of Taco Bell, McDonald's, and all that stuff for a dollar. (laughs) But uh, we sense all the time our support and our love. And the one thing I want to say about Carol quickly is that we've always, our girls, we were fortunate. First of all, for four years after we married, we got acquainted. We did it the other way. You know, some of you take four years, then you get married. We got married, then we had four years of getting acquainted. And then we had two precious girls. But we've always communicated with our girls, and Carol's one of the instigators of that. Even to this day, I'm sure their husbands say, really? But our girls call almost every day. When our one daughter went to California, we put an 800 number before cell phones, just like the Christmas card, long before Facebook. So you get used to that kind of thing. But... They, we, we, we always have communicated with our family, our girls, and to this day, they call almost every day, for which I'm grateful. And I hope as a family, as you get older, the communication with your kids is as valuable as anything else you do. And a lot of times I see that strain. I better quit. I'll go on You're, forever. You, no, it's awesome. Would you guys like to say thank you to Dick yeah. and Carol? Thank you guys so much. Mm-hmm. Sorry about one. No, you're good. You're good. Hey, I wanted you to see an honest-to-goodness picture of love that was lasting for a lifetime. And today, what we're going to do in our time remaining is I want to look at some pictures in the Scriptures, some verses that are just power-packed to give you an honest-to-goodness snapshot on how you're doing and what the Bible, because it's remember, marriage is God's idea. In fact, relationships are God's idea. The Bible gives us the benchmarks we should be shooting for. And I want to make sure that today, if you're not married, you understand that what I'm talking about today is simply a relational principle. It's a relational principle. It's not just a marriage principle. So what this means is if you're single, this applies to you. If you're divorced, this applies to you. So I want to take you to a verse that you often hear at a Christian wedding, and let's use it as our jumping off point for our few moments together today. The verse is found in in Ecclesiastes, which is in your Old Testament, chapter 4, verse 12. Now, Ecclesiastes is a part of your Old Testament Bible known as the wisdom literature. And the wisdom literature, its whole goal in the Bible is, is to help us see the wise way to live, comparing it to the 
foolish way to live. We talk a lot about that around here because we believe that God's salvation offered to us is free. It's grace. We don't do anything to deserve it. But then God tells us, if you want to experience all that I have for you, you have to start partnering with me. You have to start living the way I ask you to live. While I'll give you salvation and secure your eternity, I don't just want that for you. I want you to live the entire life I have for you. And so start partnering with me, God says. And in Ecclesiastes, there's this one verse that you're going to nod your head with and agree with, and it's powerful. Here's what it says. It says that the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, my, my kids and I, we like to uh, go to museums. Uh, maybe, maybe your kids don't like that, but, but my kids do. And a couple of years ago, we were at the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. It's one of our favorite places to go. And they have a little exhibit there about the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco and the cabling that has been manufactured to hold the weight of that bridge between the large stands. So, so the big supports are foundationed in concrete. They're, they're, the concrete goes several hundred feet deep holding up the supports. But from those supports, the entire weight of the bridge, a few billion tons, is supported by really very small metal wire. But it's not just one metal wire. There are 567 metal wires wound together in a particular pattern so that the strength of each individual cord is doubled and tripled and quadrupled to hold up billions of tons of that bridge. That is a visual picture of what this verse is trying to say. That whether we're married, single, divorced, single parent, um, mom and dad in a traditional home, whether we have extended relatives living with us or not, the Bible principle is pretty clear that the Bible puts a lot of stake in doing life together. And it says that if there's one person, well, they're easily overpowered. This is a biblical way of saying that one person relying on their own strength is foolish. This is not to say that if you're single, you're foolish. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that a single person, or more importantly for our context today, a married person relying on your own strength, the Bible says that you are easily broken. That's a foolish way to go about life. It's a foolish way to conceive of your problems. It's a foolish way to think about tackling a goal, to go about it just by yourself. That it's difficult. It's easily broken. Then it says that two... Two is pretty smart, just in kind of the wisdom literature way of talking about it. It's, it's wise, if you will. Because two, then, now you can defend yourselves. It's the idea of two people facing a crowd of challengers, and they stand back to back, ready to face the dynamic forces against them from any direction. One, foolish. Two is wise. But three, here, here's where it gets very interesting. Three is brilliant. With three tackling the goal together, you get that compounding benefit of not one strand of wire trying to hold up the bridge, but multiple strands together and the benefits of coming together in a group, interwoven together, is power. Power. That, that's, that's the last concept I want to write on the board today, is the idea of power. 
Here's what breaks my heart when it comes to marriages, when it comes to friendships, when it comes to moms and dads dealing with their kids, to single people facing the world. I know in general what God's agenda for each of us is. And yet reality is, as most of us fall far short, and when I say that, some of you are wired so that you hear that as like a guilt-inducing thing. You're hearing me say, you fall so far short and man, you need to do something. That, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying that the heart of God for you, for me, for my marriage, for your marriage, for your kids' marriage, for your friendships, for your family, your relationship with your parents, your aunts and uncles, his will for us is so much more than most of us are able to press into. And it's almost as if we lack the power to live what he's called us to live. And one of the secrets he's given us is this concept we're talking about right here. Not trying to do it on our own. And this is nowhere more evident than in your marriage. Here's the truth. There is great power at work in your marriage when God is at the center. When God is at the center. The reason we use this passage at Christian weddings is, as we talk about, you know, one is broken, two can defend themselves, but the husband, the wife, and God together, that's a powerful mixture of interwovenness that breeds life and breeds power into our relationships. This is God's heart for us. In fact, the entire story of the Bible gives a consistent picture of marriage, that where marriages have people involved in them that don't value the things of God, don't invite God in, don't press into what God has, those marriages tend to have very rocky roads, and the marriages that tend to invite God in, they face similar problems, they face similar hurdles, they aren't elevated to a plane of perfect existence, but when they face those challenges, they have a power to rely on. Now, there are a lot of verses I could take you to. I chose just a few. We're going to do quite a bit of Bible this morning. And they're all pretty simple to understand. But I want you to see in them a picture of what the Bible's trying to show us when it is describing this interwovenness between deep friends, between parents and kids. And if you're married today, in your marriage. What does it mean to be interwoven and have available to us the power that God expresses towards us and says we can walk in even as we face the normal hurdles of life? How do we, would, how do we draw from that bank account of power so that we don't have five and six year relationships? We have 45 year relationships and, and we get a picture of love lasting for a lifetime. So here are some passages that give us some honest-to-goodness pictures. And I'm going to tell you, they're not complicated to understand. Your challenge today won't be trying to understand the Greek and the theological nuance in these passages. The deep stuff in these passages is right on the surface. And they describe that interwovenness that God wants for us. Here's the first one. It's in James chapter 5, a New Testament book of very practical advice on how to live the life that God wants us. Here's what James chapter 5 verse 16 says. Now if you're married, do a quick check in your own heart about whether or not this dynamic is happening in your marriage. Here's what it says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
the prayer of a righteous man or the righteous woman is powerful and effective. So, now there are hundreds of passages in the Bible we could pull from. I pulled this one because it describes the dynamic of interwovenness of an intimacy and a closeness in a relationship that typically we don't go towards. This is like graduate school Christian living together. This is graduate level being brilliant, bringing in a person and another person and God in the middle and experiencing the full power that God wants. Here's what it says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Now, if you're Catholic, you understand the, the... the what do you guys call that? Um, confession. That's what you call it. Yeah. I didn't grow up Catholic. And for just a moment, I, it, it slipped my brain. You, you understand that, that activity of regular confession where you would go to the priest and you would describe the things you had done since the last time you were there. And, and then he might give you a few activities to engage. And then he would acknowledge the absolution of your sin. I'm not talking about it in that kind of formal way. This is a broader passage dealing with all of the believers that have accepted Jesus into their life. Here's what it says is that it acknowledges that not only is our relationship with God dependent on what's happening in a vertical way between us and God, but there is a horizontal dimension to our relationship with God. So that what we do with the people we live with in our marriages, with our husband, with our wife, has a direct impact on what happens between us and God. And it says that if we would make it a habit of confessing our, we don't like this word, right? Sins, our mistakes to each other, that there would be a power in that. It's the principle of humility in marriage, that interwovenness works better when there's humility and a willingness to admit our faults to the other person, to admit our failures, to admit, as the Bible calls it, our sins. Confess your sins one for another. And then it says, and pray for each other. That there is power available when we're humble and willing to admit our mistakes. And there's power available also when we pray for each other. I don't know about you, and this might surprise you, but even in my life, do you realize that 80% of my prayers are about me and what I want? And the Bible welcomes that. God likes that. He wants to hear what's on my heart. But that's not where the power of interwovenness comes from when I simply bring to God my own concerns. The Bible says that an interwovenness, this multiplied power of being together happens when I'm humble and admit my mistakes and then I pray for the concerns of the people I'm connected to. Now you should be able to draw all kinds of inferences for your marriage today. Imagine what it would look like the next time you're arguing if instead of trying to pinpoint and make clear the fault of the person you're fighting with, you decided in this argument, I'm going to go to great pains to show just how at fault I was. My fault might only be 10%, but I'm going to go to great lengths to describe the 10% fault I have. I wonder if that would change any of the dynamics of your next argument. And I wonder if the next time you're discussing something, instead of trying to have your needs identified as the priority, if you stopped and said, I want to spend some time with you praying about what's on your heart and what's on your mind. This is the image God gives us, not for the super duper highly spiritual marriages, but for all marriages. 
where the people claim to have a relationship with Jesus. An idea of humility and the idea of praying together. And then I want you to look at what it says. And then it says, so that you may be healed. That you may be healed, it says in James 5. What kind of healing is it talking about? Maybe it's a broad reaching term, but at least I know this. I know that it has a profound emotional impact on a relationship. Confess your sins one to another, pray for the other, and then you're going to be healed. And then it says, for the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, in the old way, availeth much. In, in modern English it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now in the Bible, a righteous person is simply a person trying to live with integrity whose walk generally lines up with their talk, and when it doesn't, they say, wait, I've made a mistake. It doesn't in any way mean perfected person or a person who's arrived or doesn't sin anymore. It simply means a person who's trying to walk with integrity. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Wouldn't you like to have powerfully effective prayer in your marriage? I I would. I'd like to be able to pray about one or two, an item once or twice and begin to see God's hand move and dynamics change and hurdles surmounted. I I would like to see that happen. The Bible says if I'll come humbly and if I'll carry the concerns of others, we get interwoven in a powerful way that makes a real difference in our marriage. It's one of the pictures of interwovenness that God has in the Bible. Here's another one. Just do do a mental check and see kind of where you are. And if you're tapping into the power that God says is available to you. Listen, this is not about beating anybody up or anybody going home and saying, man, I have a lot of work to do. Uh Uh-uh. The entire attitude is different than that. It's are you and I in our homes, in our bedrooms, and when we sit down to discuss money in our dealing with kids, with our best friends, in our work environments, are we tapping into the power that God says is available to us? So here's the second word picture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And he has said to me, this is Jesus, God's spirit saying to Paul who wrote this, and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Okay, now that's counterintuitive. God's grace is enough for us because power, God's power is perfected in our weakness. So leave this verse up, gentlemen, on on the screen, because I want to talk about this for just a second. The reason God's power is perfected in our weakness, when we acknowledge we're weak, that's the very place where we say, I'm not God. I don't have it all together. I can't do this on my own. When we have that attitude facing a problem in our marriage, a problem in our finances, a problem in our relationship with our parents, a problem with a friend, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't fix this. Even if I got perfect, I can't change the dynamic. That's the very moment where we say, all right, I'm not God. And it's in that place that then God's power can truly flow unhindered in our lives. So God's grace, his free gift is available to us for his power is perfected in our weakness. And then it says, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. There's that humility principle again. There's something about this dynamic of interwovenness that requires humility. And without a a humble heart and humility 
working in your life, in your conversations, in your arguments, the power then is elusive. But as the humility factor goes up, which is something you and I can control individually, you may be married to a terrible person. I don't know. It could be. But you and I can both control our own humility. We can work on that. We can pray about that. And the Bible says that in your interwoven dynamics of friendship and marriage, as humility goes up, power goes up. They're directly connected. And as humility falls, the power to experience God's life that he's designed for you, that he wants for your marriage, that falls as well. So I'm going to boast about my weaknesses, Paul says. And somehow that doesn't make him feel weak. Somehow in that it opens a door for him to have the power of Christ dwelling in him. I don't know about you, but Jill and I have gone five, six, seven years where nobody would ever look at us and say, oh, the power of Christ is dwelling in you. The power of Christ is dwelling in your home. And then there have been periods, sweet, wonderful periods, where both of us were tracking and on an individual level there was humility operating. And we were willing to admit humbly our portion of the problem and rely and say, God, we can't do this. And we have sense, our testimony is, the power of God floods in in those moments. Let me show you one more picture, just again, kind of checking through some biblical pictures of what it means to be interwoven together. First Peter chapter 3. So we've heard from James, we've heard from Paul, now we're going to hear from Peter. Here's what he says. Now guys, this is directed at you, but there are principles for everybody. It says this, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Be considerate of them. So put them first. Evaluate their needs. Evaluate their concerns. Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. As the weaker partner, now ladies, before you mostly disconnect, this is not talking about intellectually or spiritually. It's just acknowledging that most men, not all, are stronger physically than most women, not all. There are a few women I've met I wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley. They'd take me down. I get it. So this is not like a commentary on quality of personhood. It's a commentary on the quantity of strength physically, all right? So, Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as, now listen, as heirs with you, interwoven, heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You want to have power, God says to men here? Listen, listen men, this, this, this is going like, to explain to you why God sometimes doesn't hear your prayers and you've been mad at him because he doesn't answer your prayers. He's right now telling you part of why your prayers have been hindered and you don't have power. Because we haven't been considerate of our wives and treated them with respect as gracious heirs with us of what Christ means. The Bible says that our prayers, men, can be hindered because we don't treat our wives right. If you're praying about something and it's not happening, honest to God, maybe tonight you get on your knees or you bow your head or you're in your car and you say, God, I've been praying about this stuff and it's a big deal to me, but there has been this, and here's the humility factor, gaping hole in the way I treat my wife. And it obviously has become a barrier between you and me. God, help me find the humility, confess my sin to her. 
and then begin to pray about those things and see if I'm not telling the truth and if the scripture isn't reliable, that there will be a great power begin to open up to you. See, God's will is for us to live with this interwoven connectedness, not foolishly, not even smart, but brilliantly experiencing all that he has for us. Here's another passage, Romans 14, 9. So we heard from James, from Paul, from Peter, and now we're going to go back to Paul for just a moment. Here's what it says. Let us therefore, and I like this one, make every effort some effort, no. Uh, effort occasionally, no. Um, I think I've done everything. Okay. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. There it is again, interwoven, building us both up. Let each person make every effort, go every mile, unturn, or turn over every rock, and go to every source of help to work about the mutual building us up. That interwovenness, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. You, your spouse and God, tapping into the power that's available. Here's the benefit. Here's the effect it has on us. It builds us up. See, this whole thing of, of marriage is... Yeah, it's hard. It can be difficult. It can be challenging. You bring in kids. You bring in sickness. There are transitions. Things happen. Family of origin stuff. Deep-seated pains. Legitimate hurts that have sown seeds of bitterness. All that happens. But greater in us is the power of Christ. And there is a power that most of us won't tap into. I think because for most of us, let me just speak for me, and, and you can evaluate for yourself. I'm not willing to ride the humble train long enough. I have a hard time confessing my sins. I don't pray enough about, enough about her concerns. I'm not building her up as a co-heir with me in the things of God, treating her as God's daughter. God says all of those dynamics that work in a relationship, husband, wife, friendship, any of those dynamics will rob you of the power to live the, God, the life that God wants for us. So three quick things we can do then. Maybe now as you're kind of doing your mental checklist on how things are going in your home with your friendship on these principles. Here are three things we can do. Number one, we can fight to live close with God individually. You can. You can fight to live close with God on an individual level. You can't control your spouse. In fact, that's part of the reason why some of us are still arguing so much. We're attempting to fix and control. And if we stopped doing that and got very serious about letting God work on us, we can do a lot about that. And when I say fight, I mean you're going to have to work hard at it. Look at, look at what Paul says in Romans. A lot, a lot of scripture today, but I just want the scripture to kind of wash over you and do its work. Here's, here's, what, here's what Paul says. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble, suffering, and hard times, or hunger, and, and nakedness, or danger, and death? The implied answer here is no, none of those things. In everything, we have won more than a victory because Christ who loves us because of Christ who loves us. I'm sure that nothing can separate us from the love of God, not life or death, angels or spirits, or the present or the future, not powers above or powers below. 
Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What this passage means is that when you press in for you, since you can't control anybody else, and you fight for that vital connection to Christ, you're doing what you can do. And nothing, no force, no relational dynamic, no marriage trouble will prevent the love of Christ from flooding into your life. It's a powerful blessing. If you're stuck in a place right now and you're about to give up hope, maybe you should give up hope on fixing your spouse. And maybe you should instead cling to the hope you have in Christ as an individual, that no matter what else is happening in your life, you and him, together, woven, would be a really smart option. Maybe then, maybe then that'll put you in a place to start discovering what you can do to have a cord of three strands all centered on Christ. Here's something else we can do. We can fight to be close with our spouse or if you're single with a friend relationally and emotionally. You can fight to be close with your spouse relationally. I think it takes effort. Look at what Jesus said. He said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. These are his words about his opinion on marriage. People, I I hear regularly, Jesus didn't say anything about marriage. Here it is, black and white. Draw your own conclusions. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. The larger context, Jesus has said, Moses allowed this separation. But I'm saying to you, what you should do is, since you're no longer separate, but have come together, nobody should split apart. Now, the reason Jesus has to say nobody should split it apart is because there are forces at work in the world that want to split you apart. I love my kids, but there's like evil in their hearts sometimes. And they'll play me versus Jill. And sometimes, I mean, I don't think that they mean to do it. They don't understand what they're doing. They're just, the Bible says foolishness abounds in the heart of a child. It also says teenager in the Bible I wrote. Um, <laughs> foolishness abounds in the heart of a child. And because of that, sometimes they'll like, you know, want to wedge between me and Jill, play one versus the other. And that's a force that wants to drive a divide. The, the, the God of this world, the Bible calls it mammon. The, the greed of our age, the, the selfishness of our age wants to drive a divide. So the Bible says that, look, because God has brought you together, don't let anyone drive you apart. You're going to have to fight for this thing. Ephesians, Paul writing again, says this to them. I mean, all through the Bible, there's this, these snapshots of marriage. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives if they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds it and cares for it just as Christ cared for the church. There's effort and energy that goes into being together. Because here's the truth. Isolation leads to destruction in relationships. You can have a monthly date night, read a book, join a small group, hold hands and pray, do meals together regularly, walk the mall, go to a movie, and fight against the forces that want to divide you. You can press in individually. You can fight for your time together. And thirdly, you can fight to be as close with God as a couple as possible through prayer. I said this before, and this is not in the Bible, so this is, this is a Ben application. It's not the exact specific word of God. It's just a truism I've observed. The marriages, the marriages that I personally look at and say, I'd like to be where they are in 20 years or 30 years. Prayer was a part of their dynamic. Either praying together or each individually had a definitive prayer life where they did carry each other's concerns. 
I, I've heard it said, man, I'll just throw this out for you to consider that your woman won't see you as a leader spiritually until she hears you pray. I don't know that that's exactly true, but there's something in that for you to think about and explore. And let me go a step further. I've heard it further said that she won't consider you her leader until she hears you pray for her. Again, it's not like exact Bible, but there's a principle in there to be thought about. Here's what Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 through 2 says. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from coming uh, from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in purpose. Those words were written by Paul to the church at Philippi about unity in the congregation, but they apply to friendships and marriages, being one in love, one in spirit, and one in purpose. Here's a quick tool that you can use in order to move together with God through prayer. It's the word salt. Here's what it could look like for you if you've never done this before. You take the word salt, S-A-L-T. The first letter S stands for stop. Just stop and say, hey, uh, let's make some time for us right now. Just stop. Find a pause. Make a pause. Stop. Whatever's going on, when the fighting begins to ramp up, when the challenges with the kids are overwhelming, when we're about to have another fight about money, stop. Make a pause. The next step, A, ask. Stop, ask, ask. How can I pray for you? Either right now or when I, you know, do my own prayers. How can I pray for you? Stop and ask. And then L, (laughs) this is hard, man. This is the hardest one. Listen. (laughs) Not talk. Don't fix. And listen, I, I, I am the consummate fixer. Honestly, I don't do counseling, but I should because in one session, I could fix your entire life. I am the consummate fixer. I am wise. I know exactly what you need to do. But this this principle says, stop, ask. What's on your mind? What's bothering you? How can I pray for you? How can I lift you? And then listen to them, to what they say, to how they say it, to how, what emotions are there, where their emotions ramp up, where the tears begin. Ladies, we don't like to talk, but we men need the exact same thing from you. And then T, talk. Talk to God. Talk to each other. I'm here for you. It's amazing if you'll put a little salt in your marriage, what that'll do for you. It'll be amazing if you bring God into that. You'll be living on a brilliant level. There'll be a power available to you. I'm telling you, friends, I've seen it. I've lived it. I'd like you to try it this week. Let's take out our Connect cards and take a few steps together as a congregation. We believe that a relationship with Jesus is the most important thing you can do in life, beginning that with him. So if you'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus today, I'd like you to take your Connect card and check next step A. I'd like to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the very first time today. We believe that having him in your life begins to align you and your purpose. He covers your sin, becomes your Savior, and he begins to lead your life. If you'd like to do that, we'd like you to check the box as an act of your faith, God, I, I want this. And we're going to help you. In just a moment, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. God, accept me imperfectly. Forgive me. Cover me. Lead me. But we're also going to send you an email in the mail that tells you, or uh, through, through your email, that tells you a little bit about that, as well as send you something in snail mail. All right? And the next step be, 
I'd like to get baptized. Um, big baptism coming up. If you want to get baptized and go public with your faith, just check the box. Somebody from our team will contact you. Next step C, I want to join a small group. The booklets are on your, your seat. You can do whichever one. I want to encourage you again. Any small group you want to join, put it on that line at C. But men, women, listen, there's some marriage groups. And if they fill up, we'll find more. Join a group together as a way of making time and fighting for each other. How about next step D? I will stop and pray for my spouse, for my spouse's concerns this week. I will stop and pray for my spouse's concerns this week. It's going to require you to do a little salt. Stop, right? Ask, listen, and talk. If you'll check that box, I want to send you just a little reminder that you said you were going to do that so that it'll help you to kind of move forward instead of just hearing and being stirred. And the next step be... I need to find someone to hold me accountable to initiating prayer with my spouse. Now, what I mean by this is either together or alone, you praying for your marriage. Find somebody to hold you accountable and say, did you do it? How can I help you get that done? All right, let's pray about those things right now. Lord Jesus, thank you that you really are a power in our lives, that you are phenomenally gracious and good, but you love us enough to tell us the truth about us. God, our prayer right now is that you would do your work in our lives and we'd be open to it, we'd be humble. Lord, I pray for each person today making a decision to accept you as their Lord and Savior. They're saying, in effect, I'm a sinner. God, I want you to lead my life. I believe that you're the Lord of the universe. I'd like you to be the Lord of my life. Lord, I pray for those people who are going to find some time to just stop maybe in the middle of an argument, maybe in the middle of a busy time, and connect with their spouse. And Lord, I pray that the value and the gift of prayer you put in our lives will be more evident in our homes. I lift it all up to you, the name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen and amen.